Uh, this morning, uh, I want to speak about a topic that I think is going to be very timely for the season that we're coming into because of the busyness of the season. I want to talk to you this morning about, a, about what we've been experiencing here all morning long. I've had such a personal relationship with Jesus today, such a personal call in our heart, such a personal touch of the Lord today. And so I want to talk this morning about what is a personal relationship with Jesus? What is it? What really is it? You know, and especially coming into the season that we're coming into, because Christmas is so busy. I mean, we are busy shopping and cooking and making travel plans and then traveling and then eating and cleaning up and all the stuff. I mean, and it's all good stuff. I'm not bemoaning it. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but we become so busy in it that we lose the purpose of what Christmas is really about. At least I do sometimes. And I'm assuming others are like that. So this morning, we want to talk. We want to begin today and probably next week. I'm probably going to have to finish it up next week. But we want to talk about what is really the purpose of relationship with Christ. What is it? And um, I, know, I know that people in different sectors of life have different ways of talking. Um, when I was working, when I, my co-op years, a bunch of years ago when I was in college, I worked at McDonnell Douglas and Johnson Space Center, and, you know, they have, the government has all kinds of acronyms. They will have words and things that mean nothing to the general public, but it's all abbreviated, and it's all um, initials, and it all means something to people that are in the know, but not to anybody else. And so I know the government has acronyms. Um, I know the police force has acronyms. You get on the radio, they're talking in code words all the time for those that have scanners. They don't, want, they don't want you to know what you're doing, what they're doing. They have their buzzwords. And I know that we all have them. The medical, now they have a lot of jargon. And you know what? So do Christians. So do Christians. We have a lot of buzzwords too that we throw around that really nobody really understands. And I'm not even sure that Christians understand some of the words we throw around. You know, and so tell me, just interact with me a little bit. What are some words that as Christians that we just throw out? Tell me, give, give me some things. What, what is a Christian, what's a Christian word that you know? Salvation. Salvation. Washed in the blood. Washed in the blood. Anointed. Anointed. What are some other words? Justified. Justified. Sanctified. How about just being saved? What does that mean? See, to anyone in the world, we say these things and we sound like good Christian people, but they're looking at us with our cross eyed like, what are you guys talking about? But yet we say these words not in a bad way. That's just the way we talk. Brother, sister. <laughs> you know, and here's one. Oh, we need to have a closer relationship with Jesus. What does that mean? Seriously. That's what we're going to talk about today. I hope I got your interest. But we're going to talk about how... We get that. And what does it really mean this morning to have a relationship with God, with a Jesus that we don't even see? Yet, we're to love Him. We're to, def we're to embrace Him. And we're to worship Him. So I think the best way to do this is in an example, thinking that um, if I look at how I define and have a personal relationship with people, that will help me, I think, 
know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. Because I think they're very similar in concept. So I need a volunteer. Jason. I knew you were going to. I just knew it. Come here, Jason. All right. You can sit right there. All right. Now, Jason is a man that I want to have a relationship with. And there's a process to have a relationship with a person. And there's really three steps. And I want to go through these three steps um, so that we can try to understand what relationship building really is. All right? Now, Jason is sitting up there on the platform, probably embarrassed and wishing I didn't have, wouldn't have done this to him. But that's okay because I already have a relationship with him. We can handle this. All right? Okay. But, see... Relationships are two-way streets. There has to be a desire on both parties to have a relationship. And I know this may be a difficult topic for some, so I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want, any, I don't want to get too close here. But I know that relationships, for me and Jason have a relationship. See, he wants to have a relationship. I can tell by looking at him. He wants to have a relationship with me. He wants to, you know, we, we want to be friends. But see, when I'm back here... And when I'm way out of his sight and, and out of mind, I know he's there. I'm, I'm very much aware that Jason's there. I know a lot about Jason. I know that he's married. I know that he's got a little baby boy in the way. I know that he's happily married. I know he's got a great job. There's a lot of things that I know about Jason. But until I do something here with this, um, there's nothing he can do to make this relationship stronger. As much as he wants to have a relationship, he's limited in what he can do. Right? Now, it takes two to tango. It takes two to fight, by the way. But it also takes two to have relationship. Right? So now, if I am going to have a relationship with Jason, what I need to do, I need, there's some things I need to do. I need to get a chair. And I need to come up here. And I need to sit down next to Jason. And we need to talk a little bit. And I need to come in close proximity with Jason. And we need to understand that I need to understand as a person that is coming into relationship that there's some responsibility on me to have this relationship. Right? So now what we do is that we talk. I say, Jason, man, how are you? Doing really well. Doing good. He's doing great, man. You know, and uh, we get to know each other's uh, fears. We get to know each other's uh, desires, his dreams. You know, what does he want in life? What's he afraid of in life? You know, as the closer you get to a person, the more intimate you can get with some of these questions. Not appropriate sometimes, the first time I meet somebody, to say, hey, what are you afraid of? Not, not appropriate. But the more I get closer to him, we can have some of these discussions, and they can become intimate, and they can become real. And then we can have relationship. And... We have to do things together. We have to do things together. I can't have a relationship with Jason if I'm in the back of the room just knowing about Jason. It's not good enough, even though we're in the same room and I can say that I know of him. And obviously, we do this a lot, don't we, with TV celebrities. We know. I mean, I feel like through all this time we've spent going over Billy Graham, I, think, I feel like I know Billy Graham. 
but I don't know Bill again. He doesn't know me. But in heaven, we'll get to talk. And then he'll have time to talk to me there, and we can have a relationship there. But, but we have to go into relationship with people, and there are some things we need to do. So, thank you for being my friend. You can go sit down if you want to by the people you really like. <laughs> Your wife. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, Jason. Ah, uh, Thanks. I appreciate that. But So here we are. We, we are talking about relationships that are two-way streets. We're talking about relationships that, that have, there have to be obvious activities there. And then number three, which we're going to talk more about next week, but I want to touch on it today, and that is that there must be an action and a commitment to do things that will build the relationship, that will protect the relationship. And we'll talk about that more later, but... But first, I want to I just use that as an example, and hopefully you could grasp some reality in that, that you kind of see. I can, I can associate with that. I can, I can understand how we need to build relationships with people. Now I want to see if those same processes, the two-way street idea, and then there's obvious activities that need to be, to be done together, and then the action side of that. I want to see if those line up with building a relationship with Jesus. So I went to Scripture, and I wanted to see if it's clearly defined, does Jesus want a relationship with me? In your notes there, if you wanted to write that in, right in the top, right on top of point one, does God really want a relationship with me? Does God want a relationship with me? God is a pretty awesome dude, man. I mean, he's, he's the creator. He's, he's the king of the universe. Does he really want a relationship with me? Wow. Well, let's look at Scripture. Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you, this is God speaking, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born I set you apart. Clearly, clearly, God has a heart for us. If he knows me, and he set me apart. John 15, 6. You did not choose me, but I, this is Jesus speaking, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Again, he's declaring that I choose you before you chose me. I want to be your friend, says Jesus. Romans 5, 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Does that not, if a man is going to die for you, does that kind of give you an indication that he wants to have a relationship with you? Would a man die for you if he didn't want to have a relationship with you? Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't have to clean myself up. I didn't have to change anything before Christ wanted to have a relationship with me. Ephesians 1.4, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Again, He chose me before I was ever a thought in anybody's mind. He chose me. He chose you. Because he wants a relationship with you and me. So all of these verses tell us that God the Father, through his son Jesus, 
with the help of the Holy Spirit, all desire to have a relationship with His creation. That's you and I. Amen? Isn't that awesome? God had you in mind when He created the world. And I know sometimes it's hard for us to understand those concepts in our humanity. You know, again, this is, this is Christian ease, a little bit speaking here. For those that maybe don't understand what that means, if you haven't had an upbringing in this, maybe this is really strange and really hard to grasp. But I just want to show you the facts this morning and then let the Holy Spirit bring it into reality to you. I want to just share with you what the Bible says and then let the Holy Spirit then bring in the reality of the passion and the feeling that the Holy Spirit wants to bring in your life. In case you're still wondering about Jesus' Jesus's intention towards you, um, I want to have Jackie read something for us this morning. This is uh, from Misty Edwards, who was the worship leader at Kansas City IHOP. And this came across, actually, actually Jackie sent this to me last night. So um, I, I take it as the Lord wanted this to be in, his, in this message this morning. So Jackie, would you read that, what, what Misty says about the, the desires of God's having a relationship with us? She says, Jesus is the beautiful man with a beautiful heart. Think about it. He is fully human, acquainted with all of our ways, yet has no bitterness, insecurity, or shame. He lives with his heart open without fear of being rejected or misused. He does not build up walls to spare himself hurt, but he lets us back in again and again and again. There's no man like him. He delights to do his Father's will without rebellion or pride. He's humble, meek, and lowly, yet anointed with the oil of gladness more than all of his companions. His heart is fiery, jealous, and full of zeal without an ounce of wickedness or egocentric arrogance. His heart is kind, gentle, and patient, yet unrelenting in his tenacious pursuit of yours. He'll do whatever it takes to win you over and to unite your heart to his. I love this man, and I love his beautiful heart. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a great description of, of the intensity that Jesus has towards us? Yeah. And you know, that's what Christmas is all about, quite honestly, folks. I mean, think about this. God, in his design created all of us as unique as we are as soon as andrea was created he broke the mold as soon as mike was created he broke the mold and tony there is no other mold no other person got into your mold andrea you are unique in who you are purposely and for all of the rest of us and then god said i want relationship with these unique individuals and then unfortunately sin comes in and breaks that barrier right we all know that. We've been through that numerous times in this church, talking about what sin does, what it did. But God in his greatness and his love and his mercy and compassion towards us, his creation, he says, I want relationship with my creation. And so what he did is that he came down in a way that is unique as well. He came down in the form of a man. Isn't that amazing? God comes down in the form of a baby called Jesus, born in a stable, born in lowly situations, did not come in as a king, he came in as a baby, to live a life of hardship, testing, trials, tribulations, yet no sin, than to die a perfect sacrifice for us. All because 
God wanted to restore the relationship that was broken a few thousand years before that. Now, that's where we are today. God came down and he became a man so that we could associate with a man. Now, those that were walking with Christ maybe 2,000 years ago and the disciples and those in that 33 years or so that he lived, maybe they could maybe grasp it a little bit better because they actually saw him. But yet, I think about it as being even a little bit more difficult because if you saw a man that claimed to be God, <laughs> would you believe him? I mean, you better not today, just so you know that. If anybody comes today that claims they're man, there's a false prophet. I'll tell you right now, it's not going to happen again. He came one time, and that was 2,000 years ago, right? So Jesus is not coming back as a man today. When he comes back, he's coming back as a king, and he's coming back in the clouds. He's not going to walk across the desert. So don't get confused. If you, if, because the Bible says in the end days there will be those that will rise up to call themselves Christ's. So don't get distracted and don't get confused by those. So today we have the written word and we have the promises of God's word that declares to us who Christ is. So now the question we have to answer is, do you, do I, want a relationship with him? See, he was the man up on the stool a few minutes ago. Jason was up there on the, on the, on the chair. Well, in all honesty, Jesus is sitting on that chair right now. All right, You don't see him. But he's there. Do you believe, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in eternal life? Do you believe there's going to be something happen to you when you die? Okay, if you believe that there's something going to happen to you when you die, why do you want to wait until you're dead to really believe it? I mean, it's as real today, right now, it's as real today as it is the moment you take your last breath. So, just because I can't physically see Jesus, understand he's sitting in that chair. And now he's saying, Mike, I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. Now, the question is, do I want a relationship with him? Do I, have the, do I want to take the effort? Do I want to take the energy? Do I want to reciprocate what he's calling me with? Do I want to give it back to him in the form of relationship? Let me just give you a little hint. There are times maybe in your prayer life, in your devotion life, that you may be struggling with praying. Try this. Take a chair and just put it like this. And then you come up and sit next to the chair. And you just envision Jesus sitting in that chair. Wow. Man. It's pretty powerful to know that he's as close to me as sitting in that chair. I can reach out and put my hand on his knee. And he can put his arm around my neck and he can call me in. And he can bring me in for an embrace. I'm sorry. That will get you emotional. That will, that will bring out some, some passion in you knowing that the King of Kings is sitting here, right here, wanting a relationship with me in front of all you people. And he also wants it with you when you're all, all by yourself in your home, in the darkness of your nights, when you don't have the feelings that come along with it. Know that Jesus is right there, 
So set a chair there and go up to it and pull up a little closer if you have to. You know, there's something special about having a relationship with people that you really have a relationship with a person because, you know, you don't have to say a whole lot, do you? Sometimes you just need to sit with them. Sometimes you just need to sit there and look in his eyes. Wow. That's relationship building, folks. That's what it's like. That's what it's about. It doesn't have to be a fanfare. It doesn't have to be a lot of emotion. It doesn't have to be weird. It's called the closet. It's called your prayer closet. Just go into it every once in a while. Sit down with them. All right. Now, how do we get there? How do we get there? See, for some of us this morning, this is what we do on a regular basis. I know that. I know a lot of you in here. I know that for most of you, in fact, this is probably what you do on a regular basis. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know. In fact, I probably never told you anything you don't know as long as I've been pastoring here. (laughs) But you know, for some of us, others... For some others of us this morning, maybe this is a hard question to answer. Or maybe you've at one time had a relationship like that and maybe you don't have it as fresh anymore like you used to have it and you want it back. How do you get it? Well, we have a Lord that is very gracious to us. And, you know, when Jesus was getting ready to leave, he knew that there was going to be a big gap in relationship with him and his disciples. He knew that when he left, there was going to be a vacancy. You, you, we all know what it's like for a loved one to leave, don't we? We all know what it's like, you know, when we've had our Christmas time together and all the family's home together and our kids have to go home or we have to leave and that empty feeling when our children leave, even if we know they're just going a few hours away. It's still an empty feeling. Well, Jesus knew that. He, he could anticipate that. But what he did was he did something that was so important and he did this, and he, and he tells us what he did in John chapter 14, beginning at verse 16. And he, sa- and he tells his disciples, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. What's an advocate? What's an advocate? Somebody's on your side. Somebody that's going to be closer than a brother. Somebody that's going to be your defender. Somebody that's going to stick up for you when nobody else will. Somebody that's going to draw you in. It's an advocate. I will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why? Why do you know him? Because he lives with you and he will be in you because you are in relationship with me. The Holy Spirit is in me and he's in you if you have a relationship with Jesus. And then verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Isn't that a great statement right there? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Man, God clearly is on our side. Clearly he's calling us in. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, 
as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to come in to his home, to his eternal home. You see, there is a, there is a God-shaped, and you've heard this statement before, this is one of those Christianese things, this God-shaped vacuum <laughs> that is created in our heart that only God can fill. He has given that to every man. Every man that was ever born has, has had an inner pull into him for something bigger than himself. Now, unfortunately, if good truth wasn't shared with this person, that this inner pull was tried, tried to be satisfied with things of the world. We try to shove everything else we can into that inner vacuum with us called, you know, called fun, <laughs> called recreation, called drugs, alcohol, wealth, money, all the other stuff of the world, busyness, maybe just bad choices, get all plugged into this inner vacuum that really is never going to be filled unless it's filled with Christ. Never going to be filled unless it's filled with Christ. So the question comes back, Jesus is in the chair and he's wanting the relationship with me, but do I want it with him? You see, we talked over the last number of weeks, we talked about the power of choices. Remember that? talked about power of choices. This is why I can really believe we can say this and, 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 and say it in a right fashion, but choice is the most powerful force in the universe. Because no matter how bad Jesus wants me to have a relationship with him, no matter how bad he's calling me into him, if I don't choose to walk up and say, I receive you, Jesus, there's no relationship. There's no relationship. That's why choice is so important. That's why our choices are so vitally important and that we need to take responsibility for that. This is not a salvation by works theology at all. This is a salvation by God's grace and grace alone as I receive His grace. I have no credit for that. I can't take credit. I can't brag that I've taken favor or I've taken um uh taken advantage of his grace there's nothing to brag about there that that takes humility it takes humbleness what it takes is a couple of words that we don't like confession and repentance we need to talk about that we talked about that last week but this is an important part of what it means to establish that relationship with Jesus we do that this is number two. This is the step number two. We, number, step number one is that, is that we recognize that it's a two-way street, that both have to be in unity. Both have to be in, in desiring the relationship. That's number one. Now, number two is there are some obvious activities that must be done together to have the relationship. Remember, that's when I came up and sat next to Jason, and we talked, and we made plans, and we shared each other's hearts and heartbreaks and all that good stuff. That's what I'm talking about here. Well, how do we do this with God? We do this through two fundamental steps that bring us into a beginning of that relationship. Number one is our relationship begins when we admit that we have sinned against God. That's called confession. When I admit my sin, that means now that I am coming under right, um, I'm coming under the right attitude, I guess is the right word, the right 
um, plane. I'm coming in where God is, where I can come under His line of thought. Because I'm admitting now that I'm not all I think I am. I don't really have it all put together as well as I thought I did. I'm not quite the man or quite the woman that I'm all hyped up to be on the outside because I have some inner stuff that's ugly and dirty. And now I have to bring it out in the open before Jesus. Not before men. You don't need to do it before any man. This is not a public confession. It's not something you come up and you air your dirty laundry in front of everybody. That's not it at all. It is going into that inner sanctuary. It's going into that two-chair approach up there. And I say, Jesus, you know, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Um, I've got some stuff in my life that I'm not real proud of, but I need to tell you about it. <laughs> we, st- we started at the beginning of the service today wondering, asking if anybody likes surprises. Remember that? Well, you're not going to surprise Jesus by what you say because he already knows. <laughs> he already knows your dirt. He already knows how ugly you are. He already knows the heart. So all you're doing now is being honest with yourself. And with that confession now, I'm just saying, you know, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And you're not taking him off, God. You didn't knock him off the seat, by the way, when you said that. He said, man, I'm so glad you're honest with yourself because I like honesty. I, I like integrity. I like honesty. I like it when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I have an agenda. Or I have this to do or I have that to do. That's refreshing when people talk honestly. I was uh, I'm helping coach a girls basketball team, freshman, sophomore, JV team. And I was asking one of the girls something about something. I can't remember what it was now, darn it. It was a good example. But the point is that she answered me honestly that didn't make her look good. And I said, wow, thanks for being honest. I, I knew it. I mean, I saw what she did, but she didn't cover it up. She didn't make any excuses for it. And I said, wow. And she doesn't know I'm a pastor. I mean, I don't think she does. But she just re- reacted with an honest answer. And you know how refreshing that was? Because now we can talk. I don't have to try to say, well, no, you did this. Because she said, I already did it. Why? That's all Jesus is asking for. That's what confession's about. Just coming to yourself and, and, and opening yourself up before Jesus and saying, you know, I, I'm really not as good as I thought I was, and will you help me here? And now we start moving into relationship. John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, it says this about our claims. It says, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, however, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then he goes back to the statement that was just talked about in verse 8. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Interesting how he kind of puts an Oreo cookie here. The first verse says, if we claim without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All right? And then comes the inner filling here, the white creamy stuff. It says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if you don't confess your sins, if you claim you haven't sinned, then what you're really doing is that you're making me out as God to be a liar. Whoa. That's a pretty serious 
accusation if you're going to claim God as a liar. You better be a pretty big man or a pretty big woman if you're going to claim God as a liar. So let's not do that. <laughs> let's just not do that. We take that little hint. Just don't do that. Confession is so important. Now, why is it so important? Why is the truth so important? John 8, 32, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Who knows that verse? The truth will do what? It'll set you free. The truth. Imagine that. You want to be free? Then tell the truth. You want freedom in your life? Then don't cover up a lie. Don't, don't come with an agenda. Don't come with a hidden idea like you're going to try to buffalo somebody over with something. You know, my dad would tell me, and I would hate it when he would say this, but he says, if you're going to be a liar, you better have a pretty good memory. Because you better remember what lie you told to who. Because otherwise you're going to be found out you're a liar, then what are you going to do with it? I used to hate that. But he's so right. Isn't it easier just to tell the truth, and then you don't have to worry about what you, who you told what? Because it's the truth. And do you remember truth? Can you remember? Has any? Be honest with me here. Has anybody ever told a story that you exaggerated a little bit? Yeah. You know, and if you tell that story enough times, what happens? You start to believe it. You start to believe your own exaggerations because you've said it so many times that way that you think it really happened that way. Scary stuff. That's how deception starts. That's how it comes into our life, slowly, one little story at a time. Man, I can remember, I used to be just a... Actually, I'm really glad we didn't, they didn't have good video machines, good, good videotapes back in 1975 and 76 when I was in high school because in my mind, I was a great quarterback. But if I could see the video, I probably wouldn't want to watch it because in my mind, you see, see how that plays out? The truth will set us free. Okay, now what comes along with that? Then Jesus said the second part of, of that, the second part of confession comes the most important part because this is the thing that makes confession to be true. And that is repentance. We talked about this last week. There's a difference between confession and repentance. Confession says this. Confession says I admit of wrongdoing. I admit guilt. I've, I admit something. I concede. I acknowledge that I've done something wrong. That's confession. But there's no heart of not doing it again. I just admit that I've done it. Now repentance comes in when the truth will set you free, will come in and say this. According to Jesus, he says that nothing... Where did I put that? I hate that when I do that. Luke 13, chapter 3. Jesus said, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless you repent. Now, what's the difference between confession and repentance? Confession, you just admitted you're wrong. Repentance is this. To be sorry, to change ways, to be remorseful, to be shameful, to be contrite, to make atonement. The Greek word for repentance is metonia, and it means a change of mind, the state of changing any or all of the elements composing one's life, attitude, thoughts, and behaviors concerning the demands of God for right living. Confession, repentance, they come together. They're very important that they have to come together because I have to have an area of repentance with my confession. And when I do that, now I am in relationship with the Lord because now He looks at me differently. 
Until I do that, I'm one of his creation. He loves me. I'm unique. I'm all those things that we've discussed. But until I come to him with an attitude of, Lord, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do that again. Lord, I'm sorry, I'm going to change my ways. Lord, I'm sorry, would you teach me how to be a better person? Lord, but until I come to that point, he sees me as that person that is black with sin. And there is no relationship. He is not my father, and I'm not his son. I am just his creation. But the moment I say, Jesus, I'm sorry... And I'm really not going to do that again. All of a sudden, there is a, a new birth that happens. The blood of Christ that was poured out on the cross starts spilling all over me, all over again. And all of a sudden, what was black turns white as snow. Amen. It turns white as snow like I've never sinned. And now when he looks at me, he says, Oh, my son, my daughter, let's talk. Let's develop relationship now. Let's come in and let's have unity together. That's what relationship with Jesus is all about. Jackie, would you come, please? So today, this morning, as we are, we'll pick up next week on step three, which is how to build, protect, and nurture that relationship. But today, I want to just go with there because we're going to have communion in a few minutes. And I wanted to... This is the perfect segue into communion because all it requires for you to have communion is a right relationship with Jesus. You don't have to be a member of a church. You don't have to go through a catechism. You don't have to go through any type of a ritual. All it is is in your heart, Jesus is on that chair and you're sitting next to him now and you just look at him in the eyes and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he says, all right, son. Okay, daughter. Let's commune together. See, Rick Warren, in this little book, The Purpose of Christmas, says a couple good things about the relationship that God wants to have with people. The Bible tells us God is love. It doesn't say God has love, but God is love. Love is the essence of God's character. It is His very nature. The reason that everything in the universe exists is because God wanted to love it. The Lord is good to all. He has, a, he has compassion on all that He has made Think about this. If God didn't want to love something, he would not have created it. Everything you see and the trillions of things you can't see was made by God for his enjoyment. He loves it all, even when we mess it up with sin. Because God's love for you is unconditional, he loves you on your bad days as much as on your good days. He loves you when you don't feel his love as much as when you do. He loves you regardless of your performance, your moods, your actions, or your thoughts. His love for you is unchanging. Everything else will change during your lifetime, but God's love for you is constant, steady, and continuous. It's the foundation for unshakable confidence. Here's something really important. See, because sometimes we don't feel qualified for God's love, do we? Maybe I've done some things really bad this week. Maybe I'm unqualified. Maybe I've done so many things in my life so badly I'm unqualified but listen there is nothing you can do that will make God stop loving you you could try hard but you'd fail because God's love for you is based on his character not your conduct it's based on who he is 
and not what you've done. Isn't that amazing? God loves me irregardless of how bad I am. The Bible says Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know, but I pray that you will be able to know that love. Yeah. Yeah. See, God is such an awesome God. Maybe you fear God. Maybe you don't come to Him this morning because you're afraid of God. Well, let me read a little bit more talking about fear. See, many people feel that God is secretly out to get them, that He is constantly playing a game of gotcha, just waiting for them to mess up and fail so He can say, I told you so. They imagine God as some kind of sadistic cosmic grouch who enjoys frustrating our plans and is always looking for ways to criticize, judge, or get even with us. But God Himself says otherwise. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and not a hope. No one wants best for you more than God. No one knows better what will make you truly happy. God doesn't want you to be afraid of Him. He wants you to run to Him, not from Him. Amen. So this morning, as we prepare for communion this morning, this is a great opportunity for all of us no matter where you at in life, if you've never received Jesus in your life before, or maybe you already have, this is a great time of reflection. What is my relationship with this man? This man, this man, Jesus is a man who's also a God. What's my relationship with him? What's yours? Close your eyes with me if you would. See, this morning as we look at our personal relationship with Jesus, Understand that He wants to be your Christmas today. He wants to be that Savior that comes into your life today. So while your eyes are closed, will you just imagine with me this morning that Jesus is really sitting in that empty chair and He's wanting nothing more than for you to have that relationship with Him. He knows all about you, but He still wants that relationship with you. He's willing to put in all the effort to establish the relationship. In fact, he already has. He already did at the cross. So this morning, are you willing to pull up your chair? Are you willing to draw up close to Jesus this morning and say, I'm sorry? Yeah. Amen. It's important that we take the time to reflect on this. So this morning, as all eyes are closed, if you've never done this before, if you really want a relationship with Jesus that maybe you've never had before, would you acknowledge Him today? Would you acknowledge Him by just maybe an uplifted hand? Nobody's looking. This is personal. This is personal. If you want Jesus in your heart today like you've never wanted Him before, I see that hand. I see it. It's good. I see that hand. Amen. Be bold. That's good. The relationship's there. It's coming. It's building right now in Jesus' name. I see the other hands. Amen. This is important, folks. This is what Christmas is about. This is the best Christmas present you could ever receive is eternal life. And this comes to relationship with Jesus Christ. What's it's all about. Now, maybe you've already received Jesus in your life at one time in your life, and maybe you've drifted away a little bit. Maybe you have another... Christianese word is called backslidden and stepped away from God's love. There's opportunity for you too, backslider. 
this morning, do you want a closer relationship with Jesus? If you do, would you just raise your hand this morning and acknowledge the Lord? I see that hand. Amen. I see that hand. I see it. That's good. And more importantly, Christ sees it. It's not about, I'm just acknowledging you because I know that you've done it. But Jesus sees the hand and he sees the hearts. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. And as we sing, would you make your way up? I'm going to pray first. Let's pray. Jesus. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you sent him as a man that I can have a relationship with him and I can see him and I can vision him and I can see his eyes. I can see the hair flowing down his back and I can see the sweat in his brow and I can, I can see the intensity in his face when he said, Father, not my will but your will be done and I will accept the penalty. I will accept the penalty. God, that had to happen that way because I could no other way could I understand and appreciate what you really did. The sacrifice that you really made because of the man that was in Jesus Christ that I can have a relationship with. And so, Lord, I I thank you for all those this morning that raised their hand for salvation. I thank you, Lord, that they confessed and they're repenting of their heart in their heart even as we speak that they will not live. And that, that doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, Jesus. We know that. But God, there's a change. We thank you for that. For those that raise their hand that want a closer walk with you, I thank you for that. Now, Lord, Lord now we're going to come and we're going to celebrate your, your communion table this morning. We're going to celebrate your, your sacrifice, your life, your body, the blood, the healing that's here. And we're going to celebrate it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Well, let's sing this song. And as we're singing, if you'd like to come forward and just, we're going to open up in communion. And just have some time of fellowship here in Jesus' name.
I love the wind of the Holy Spirit. In John 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, the wind blows where it wants to. Now, if you're into sailing, you don't want that. But the Lord is talking about something different here. And so in regard to that, I've seen that there have been some that put their sails up this morning. You want to be moved by God, put your sail up. But you don't know which way that wind's blowing until you do. I'm really glad to see that some have put their sails up this morning. We all stand here and we hold the emblems of our worship. The emblems of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the night that he was betrayed. Why do churches do this differently? You really know it doesn't matter. What really matters, Jesus said, is that we remember him in taking communion, coming to the table of the Lord, that we remember Him in this communion, that we understand that when we are partaking, eating of the bread, which is His body, drinking of the cup, which is His blood, you may look at that and say, but it's just a piece of cracker. The greater thing is to ask God, what do you think, Lord? Lord, how do you see this? It's very simple. Eat and see as we hold this the blood or the body of the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God that was broken for you and I no bloodshed without brokenness without brokenness no redemption and so as we hold this in our hands which is resemblance of the body of the Lord Jesus that on the night he took it and he gave thanks. He broke the bread. As he broke the bread in front of his disciples, he was giving thanks that his body was going to be broken that night. You and I have no idea what's going to happen this week. None of us have any idea. There may not be some of us standing here next week, oh, not because we choose not to be here, but because we have been called onward that we will no longer be alive in this world we do not know that and this is precious when we come together thanking the Lord God for life and so Jesus not knowing entirely what it was going to do he said thank you not knowing what it was going to feel like thank you what a great example Let's give thanks. Thank you, Lord, that the joy set before you is the reason you could go to the cross. You who knew no sin became sin. You who has never experienced sin, it was laid upon you because you were worthy to carry our sin to the cross. That's why you did it. And we remember it this morning, Lord. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. In Jesus' name, let us eat together.
golden cup with grape juice. I've been in heavy discussions about communion through my wonderful theological years of the pastor. And I've had some really dandy arguments as well as some really sweet discussions. And I've heard not all of it, but a good chunk of it. And it goes something like this. We need to make it more meaningful. Put it in a wonderfully engraved silver chalice and let us have a fine wine that has been aged. I said, why? Why? Because it's not about that. If we could only see things the way God does. You know, we have no heavenly perspective except what the Lord has revealed to us by His grace by His wonder and by the blood of Jesus. It's not what we have here that means anything. It's how God looks at it. This is the blood of His Son. It's not just juice. It's the blood of His Son. Do you see it that way? I invite you to see it that way. That what you partake of, the Lord doesn't see the juice. He doesn't see the the throwaway cup, he sees a silver chalice with the blood of his son in it. So we don't have to put on all the, the pomp and circumstance. Simplicity reigns in the kingdom of God. Amen. Let us give thanks for the blood. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you set forth communion even before even before time began here on earth. You had a council in heaven with your Father. If we make man in our image and we give him choices, this is what could happen. And so we have the verse that says the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth we now celebrate with a simple cup and simple juice that you say amen and amen. Jesus, when you sat at the table with your disciples, you said, I have longed to drink of this cup with you. And you also said that you will not drink of it again until all of us are come together with you at that great table in heaven. Oh, Lord, how you look forward to this. And how in our midst you are here this morning and you are enjoying this with us. Give us eyes to see and a heart to receive and to enjoy what you are enjoying right now in our simple gratitude, Lord. Thank you for shedding your blood for us that we could partake of it that we can have life in you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Will you drink with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give him thanks this morning. It's his cup. Hallelujah.